Welcome to episode 294 of the No Proscenium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro headquarters, aka the kitchen table, here in Los Angeles. This week on the show, this one's a fun one for me, we have novelist Matt Ruff and journalist Blake Collier of the 88 Names podcast on... Uh, I had the honor of being a guest on their podcast at the beginning of pandemic. And uh, now that we're entering a bold new phase of our new reality um, and that the fellows have have wrapped the podcast up, uh, I wanted to have them on our podcast to talk about sort of what they've learned over the past year of exploring immersive technology in all its forms. Um, So, Matt's name you might recognize because uh, he's the author of a little book called Lovecraft Country, uh, which, you know, got turned into an HBO series last year. Uh, And he and Blake met when Matt was on uh, the promotional tour for Lovecraft Country and 88 Names is Matt's new novel that came out last year. Uh, they'll, they'll, They'll tell the story, but it's it's set in virtual reality. And they decided to make a podcast kind of getting into, well, where are we with virtual reality right now? What is all this stuff happening? Um, and they've talked to folks like Joanna Popper over at HP and Mike Pondsmith, the creator of uh, of the original cyberpunk role-playing game. Just a lot of interesting folks, people not just in, in the entertainment sector, people, uh, you know, doctors, philosophers. It's a really great collection of interviews, and I encourage you to check it out and, and do a nice deep dive. But I wanted to check in with the boys and see how how it all went. And this is just one of those loose, no proscenium conversations. Um, and, you know, cherish them while you can. What? More on that later. Um <laughs> I'm I'm terrible. Um, it's not the only loose no proscenium conversation that happened this week. Uh, you'll notice in the feed there's a bonus episode with the boys from Serial Killer Speed Dating. Uh, that's in the feed right before this one. And if you are new to the cast, if you were lured here uh, because you're like Matt Ruff of Lovecraft Country, I gotta check that out. Uh, which you know is a thing that happens, and you know you know we'd hope it would happen. Um, you might also want to scroll back through and check out some of our other interviews. We had an absolute banger of an interview with uh, playwright Javad Alipur last week, uh, which uh, which just went in, in, in all sorts of lovely uh, geopolitical dimensions. So really exciting, uh, that one right there. Uh, so a really good run here on the podcast right now. And uh, I'm so thankful for everyone who makes that happen. Uh, we are brought to you by our lovely Patreon backers, uh, which you can join uh, at patreon.com slash no Our latest backers are Nicole Miller and Crystal Reinwald. Thank you both for jumping in. We are on a campaign to get to um, 500 backers over the course of the summer. 
and uh, we are very far away from that. So we need everyone's help we can. And if you already back the show, uh, please, uh, when you see us do a call out on social media for Patreon, please just uh, spread the word. Uh, it it actually helps. It's embarrassing um, <clears throat> that that's all it takes, and I'm not really diligent about it. So I'm trying to be more diligent about it. Um, this is this is my real job now, so I got to be diligent about it. And thank you to our sustaining backers, Ari Hurston. Brittany, Elaine, Emily Gillette, Lonnie Hanson, Paul F., Mark Balthazar, Samuel Mustry, Sydney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all so much. We are closing in on episode 300. We've nearly, we, I mean, we've actually done this show more than 300 times with the episode count, right? So I think we're already there, but so, but we're closing on the official episode 300 uh, in just a few weeks time. I think what it got about like another month and a half till we get there. So coming up in July, just, uh, just a, a big, 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 big milestone for us. And uh, it's definitely making me think about just how we do and what we do. Uh, here on the podcast side of things. If you don't know, I'm sure you do, but if you don't know, we do a bunch of other stuff. There is the website, No Persinium. There's also the website, Everything Immersive, uh, which is our searchable database site. Uh, sort of Google for Everything Immersive. You could you could think of it that way. Um, and if you're, a, if you're a show creator, we encourage you to sign up and uh, input your show details or your escape room or your venues information into our system so that people can find it. It's all we make our newsletters over at No Persinium. Uh, and we also have our Discord server, which you can find a link for in the show notes. And uh, we even pop things up on Clubhouse from time to time, like the conversation that's the bonus podcast uh, right before us. And also you'll see why we don't record... <laughs> the clubhouse because the audio's kind of dodgy um turns out when everyone's on their phone except for one person not so great audio so uh there's your answer like was this recorded and you don't want to record it uh but um and uh yeah so all that stuff we do uh is backed by you and we thank you for it let's get into the episode and um i'll probably blather you a little bit on the back end as well here we go And as promised from the cold open, we have Blake and Matt. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, I'm Blake Collier. I am the co-host of 88 Names podcast and a freelance researcher and journalist uh, writing for various sites, although I haven't been as much lately because I have had my first child and that takes up my time. But Yay. yeah, it's uh, it's great to be on the podcast. And uh, I am Matt Ruff, the uh, the other co-host of the Eighty Eight Names podcast. Uh, I'm a professional novelist, and uh, I wrote Eighty Eight Names, obviously. And uh, but I'm also probably best known at the moment as the guy who wrote Lovecraft Country, the novel that was the basis of the recent HBO series. And uh, also really glad to be here. Well, I'm I'm super glad to get to talk to you guys on the back end of your Eighty Eight Names podcast journey because it was, oh God, it was what four. 14 months ago now i think you 13 months ago that we yeah. that we that we talked because i think it was like just just after shutdown must have been like 13 months ago um, yeah i i think i think the way it worked is like we we recorded most of the first round of interviews before the pandemic happened and then my 
book tour for Idiot Names. We, we had perfect timing. It was supposed to start about a week after the news broke about the uh, outbreak of the, the COVID in uh, the, the nursing home here in Washington state. And so, yeah, it was, it was like the, the, the best, absolute best possible time to have a, a book tour plan. So I was really happy that we had the podcast to fall <laughs> back on. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, and time has had really no meaning since then. So if, yeah, 14 months is, is probably right, but that just seems like, wow, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, it often has felt like just like someone picked the needle up from the record and then, you know, a few weeks ago dropped it again. It's like, oh, hey, here we go. Cause things are starting to spin back up here in LA and everything's, everything's starting. I don't know. It's, it is, it's all weird. It's all really, really weird. Um, but I'm I'm excited to have you guys on because I, I feel like you've been on this grand journey through the realm of immersive everything because uh, you've you've talked to like all these interesting people in the podcast. So you know you had you had like Joanna Popper on uh, from HP. You had Mike Pondsmith who like created Cyberpunk. Uh, 2013, which became Cyberpunk 2077. He created that world back in the 80s. You've just had this this cornucopia of people as you've explored kind of both the idea of you know immersive realities and the reality of the uh, the immersive present. And I just kind of wanted to like you know chat with you guys and see what you felt you learned and you know just take the temperature. Yeah. Sounds great. No. So yeah, I, and I've got to credit Blake for the basic idea for this. I, I did write the book and it, it is, it is just very quickly for people who aren't familiar. It's, it's basically set about 20 years in the future um, at a time when the sort of virtual reality has, has achieved that sort of platonic ideal that we've been dreaming about for the past 30 years. Um, and the, the initial idea was I, I had actually initially conceived of this as a TV series. I wanted to tell a story that was set entirely in virtual reality so that you would never see the characters as they actually appeared in real life, but only as they chose to present themselves. Um, mm. And the idea was it was far enough in the future that not only did you have photorealistic VR, but that you know machine translation was actually good enough that you could pass yourself off as a native speaker of a language you'd never studied. And I just thought it would be really interesting to tell a story in that where you were constantly guessing who who people really were behind this this mask they were wearing and of course you know you could open windows to the real world or you could look people up on social media but those are all being mediated through computer as well so those can be deceptive as well and uh in in reimagining it as a novel i did eventually put an ending in where you do come out into the real world and get to see people with the masks off but still there's that basic idea where it's it, it the bulk of the novel takes place online and the protagonist is what I call a Sherpa. His name is John Chu, and he he's basically a paid guide to online role-playing games. So the my my fictional version of World of Warcraft, which is called Call to Wizardry, it's like imagine you wanna you wanna go for a night's adventure in that, this VR version of World of Warcraft, but you don't have hundreds of hours to learn the game. So you can just pay this guy a fee and he will provide you with a ready-made character and a team of skilled playmates and uh, you know take you on a catered adventure. And um, of course, this is a violation of the terms of service. So if you get caught <laughs> working as a Sherpa or an, employing a Sherpa, your accounts get banned. But you know the EULA police is like this in-game uh, enforcement arm. But 
you know, you can just get another account, which is one of the meanings of the title. This guy's got 88 names. He's got multiple accounts and it's just breakage. It's just part of the cost of doing business in the black market. And so he, anyway, he gets this new client who calls himself Mr. Jones, who claims to be a wealthy, famous individual with powerful enemies who is willing to pay $100,000 a week for a comprehensive tour of the world of virtual reality uh, gaming. And you know, John Chu is smart enough to think to himself, well, this sounds way too good to be true, but the guy's willing to pay the first week's salary up front and the money's real. So he takes the gig, but he's naturally curious and he begins to suspect that Mr. Jones is actually Kim Jong-un, the, uh, the North Korean dictator who's interested in VR for reasons that have a lot more to do with maintaining his grip on power than, than entertainment. Um, and so that's the that's the basic setup is it's sort of like the, the like, I, I think I described it in the novel. It's like the King and I meets Snow Crash, basically. <laughs> so that was the idea. That's the novel. And then and Blake and I had had met when he interviewed me for um, my previous book, Lovecraft Country. And, and Blake was like, you know, we should do something cool to, to do with this. And I said, sure. What 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 do you have in mind? And Blake came up with the idea of a podcast. We would talk to actual people. Initially, it was just going to be VR, but then, of course, it expanded into other related things. And I have to say, our interview with you is one of the most fun because you're sort of like finding no proscenium was like opening a door into whole realms of this this inter immersive you know genre of entertainment that I, I had not even heard of. So yeah, that was actually, just really neat. Yeah, finding your finding your website and finding you as a guest was one of the things that kind of opened wide the doors on what who we could actually get on the podcast and what truly immersive and and immersive technology and VR AR what what we could actually do with that and so uh, I, I remember talking to Matt after uh, our interview with you Noah uh, and we were we were just blown away because we we felt like this was the first time that someone actually like highlighted the humanity like what is the the potential of basically the connections that could have been made with this technology. Um, and your interview stuck with us probably the most um, from that first season. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, no pressure on me yeah. uh, today okay. I, I, at all. I actually name checked you just, uh, yeah, just last week I did a, a, a thing for my Cornell university. It's like our, I, I, it's God must've been 35th anniversary of graduation. And so they brought back a bunch of different people who'd, who'd made a name for themselves in either uh, film or, or writing or playwriting. And uh, it was just sort of called Adventures in Storytelling. And, and one of the things that came up was, you know, people are trying to do theater during the pandemic mm. and, and especially people whose kids are trying to get into theater. And I said, well, you should go check out this this website called No Persinium, where they, they actually have been spending quite a lot of time talking about that this past year. So, um, but yeah, so... Well, and that's, I mean, that's kind of, it's funny, like just this weekend, someone was like doing a, a tweet thread type thing as, as happens on the old Twitter. And they, they were, they were, it's probably someone who's like, you know, maybe deep into VR and they were talking about like, you know, oh, it's all, it's all new. And like, it's very different from film. And I just like jumped into my usual, like, if you want to talk about storytelling in VR, you need to talk about theater you know, like the, the affordances are the same, right? Mm -hmm. Like the spatial computing, all the spatial stuff is about telling stories in space and theater is a way to tell a story in a space. 
as opposed to film, which is, you know, telling stories with time. And, and, yeah. and lately I've been kind of really tripping out as, I mean, not really, but a little bit like I'll, <laughs> I'll be watching like a show. I watch too much TV. Uh, and, and like, like no a really, such thing. I know there is no, not, not during, not during pandemic, but yeah, so what was it? I was like, I was like watching, uh, for all mankind, which is, you know, the, the Ron Moore alternative eighties, you know, history, like of the space race show. And I was re- in the acting in it is really, really good. It's totally a slow burn. It's like Mad Men meets NASA. And, and when it's really firing all cylinders, it's about the characters and the relationships and just like watching the actors, like, you know, pick details out to kind of, you know, in terms of their reactions to show what they're feeling about a given moment, like watching an actor notice what's going on in a scene and being fully cognizant that that is the edit that it, that yes, the actor is giving that, but if the editor wasn't splicing stuff together in a certain way, you'd never know that. But on stage, you would have that behavior from the actor, but you would also have a sense of like, oh, they got closer or they're backing away this scene. Like there's a little, there's a physical dance going on. And that's what you do. That's what blocking is in theater. Um, And so there's a question coming out of this. I promise you guys, like as, as you've been talking to people in the VR world or, or the people who've been like, you know, dreaming about VR, like Mike Pondsmith, like how is, is there, is there an understanding of that? Are, are people cog, you know, conversant in that or are people really kind of focused on, you know, the tech and the buzzwords and like, you know, we put more immersives in, in our headset or, you know, I've, I've packed, I've packed so many sensors into this, this thing, like where's the dialogue out in the great big world? Cause you've talked to folks from like medical schools and manufacturers and philosophers. And so I'm, I'm, I'd love to have y'all's insight. I mean, Matt, Matt might have, may remember something I don't, but I seem to recollect that most of the conversations we had really did kind of revolve around the history of technology or uh, the science of technology or whatever you want to call it. Um, or in the case of uh, Mike Maduri, uh, it was the philosophy of technology. So um, just kind of being noticing the, the sharp kind of increase of innovation within the last you know, 40 years, 50 years. And, and so I, I, I don't recall there being more of the, I guess, the, the narrative or the, 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 like you, like you were saying, the theater blocking, like, I don't remember much of that being discussed. Um, but like I said, Matt may have a better recollection of something in there. I, I mean, it, it seems to me that, that part of that is, is just a limitation of, I think we're, we're, you know, I'm coming from that. Yeah. Novel writing definitely does not have, um, that's a, that's a completely different dialect in some ways that, that, you know, I don't, I don't have either the film or the, like I write, my writing is somewhat cinematic because I, I watch a lot of movies, but yeah, there's certain technical aspects like the theater stuff that you're talking about is stuff that wouldn't necessarily occur to me to ask about. But that said, I think that the people I most often got hints of what you're talking about from are the people who actually are using the technology to create stuff, which is not true of, you know, uh, 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 not, you know, a lot of the people we talked to were not, they really are more on the tech side, but like Brandon Oldenburg, uh, Mm -hmm. the Academy award winning storyteller, I at least 
I because I got to to mess around with um, one of one of the things he had been worked on in Oculus. Um, clearly, he understands what you're talking about and, and can put it to use. I don't recall if we actually discussed that in the. Well, actually, that's not true. With him, we were talking about like he was talking about the the interesting things you can do. Like he's done actual installations where it's not just VR, but it's VR plus a physical space mm. that you can walk through. Like he did a, a thing called War Remains, which is basically you oh, walk yeah. through yeah you walk through the World War One trenches and you're actually touching the you know not terribly sharp barbed wire and so forth. And uh, so he's somebody who I think yeah definitely got the the theatrical trappings and and the the storytelling aspect of that. Although there there I think it was just more about the melding of the two, the the sort of uh, tactile with with the the visual and and oral um, aspects of VR. Um, yeah, I, there's a, and maybe maybe a bit, you know, it's funny. Ted, uh, is it Todd Chang or Ted Todd Chang? I believe yeah. the doc, the doctor, the pediatrics mm-hmm. doctor. Um, there we weren't really talking about theater, but he was talking about the fact that you know if you're if you're training people in particularly pediatric medicine, there mm. there definitely is something to be said for, uh, you know, a hands-on thing where you can actually hold something that looks and feels kind of like an infant and practice doing spinal taps or uh yeah or you know cpr on an infant and again they they try to simulate not just the act itself but also the confusion of being in an emergency room environment with parents freaking out in the room while you're doing this and the and the reason to do this is that it's actually you maybe get like one or two of these a month and you you just the first time you're in there you want to you want to have a sense of what to expect so you don't freak out too and so that's a so, so with people who are using, you know, talking about the actual uses they put it to for other purposes, I think they sort of at least get into the realm of that sort of theatrical discussion. Um, yeah. yeah, I think with, the, I think the, with the tech heads are the people, yeah. yeah. The tech heads I, I are the people yeah, who are talking yeah. about the, I'm sorry, I keep. I oh, know you're good. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> la, la, la. You must fight. You know? <laughs> No, but I, I think the people, yeah, the people who are more into the technical side of things or, or the, you know, just working on, on making the next generation of tech don't necessarily think of it in the same way. So that that discussion probably doesn't come up as much with them. Well, Blake, you had a point about about maybe the, the doctor there for a second? Yes. Yeah. So uh, Dr. Todd Chang, he, uh, I actually thought of him as well um, because he was, he notated this kind of threading the needle between using the technology, but creating a narrative and a narrative that is not too stressful because if it's too stressful, then it actually, like, I think he was saying that the, the people who use the technology end up not wanting to use it, or Mm. they actually do horribly on the actual test itself or on the practice. And so it's threading that needle of being realistic, but not too realistic to where they're actually brought out because of anxiety and stress so yeah there's there's kind of like a way of like a little bit of desensitizing mm-hmm. like yeah. i know there's folks there's folks who are working on stuff for like the department of defense these days who are are and i think a lot of their focus at the moment is about suicide prevention materials mm-hmm. yeah uh, but there's also like some talk and maybe even some folks have concerns about oh could we just desensitize people or or if, or could we, there's the philosophical question around, you know, oh, if we found a way to like completely solve 
or or greatly ameliorate PTSD in soldiers, then how much easier is it to deploy someone yeah. into a into a battlefield? And and obviously, like you know, it's it's not just technology that gets wrapped up in that discussion. Oh, you, you, it's psychology. I mean, I think there's a lot of work being done on psychedelics right now that are seeming to. I think there's some work going on with like MDMA where they're like, "Hey, we we're, we're getting rid of PTSD with pills." Um, it's the kind of stuff I hear sometimes, and I'm or even as last week, and it's like, "Oh, that's great." Wait a second, that can also be really bad, you know? Yeah, no like <laughs> sh- shades of the of the first episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation when it's like, "Oh, oh yeah, we, they just doped up all the soldiers," you know? <laughs> they didn't oh, care anymore. Um, yeah. This is like Blake bait because Blake was sort of the resident skeptic on the technology. So uh, yeah, I'm naturally, I I am whenever I'm seeing new technology that comes out, uh, I'm not the best at keeping up with, with every aspect of it, but a lot of it really is fascinating to me, but I tend to look for the flaws or the, the, the the strands that are loose. Like, and I like Mm. to tug on those just to see like what is going on and, and what have they not thought about, um, and so I tended to be the guy who was always asking the negative question. So anytime we asked a negative question, it probably came from me. So <laughs> anytime I, like, I would always, I would always ask the question to most guests, um, what are the negative uh, consequences or the negative aspects of this technology that you have seen in your own personal experience in whatever you're doing? Um, and it was always interesting hearing their, their, most of them had a response. Um, and most of them were actually very compelling responses. Uh, I think most of the people we, um, we talked to were able to kind of, I think they've been through a lot of those kind of same discussions in their head, maybe not as uh, bluntly as we kind of went through on the, on the show, but, uh, I think they had actually thought about those issues along the way somewhere. So, yeah. And with some people, if they had run, if they had come across Kent by Voices of VR, they they probably definitely got the the philosophical questions like hit right at them. Yes. So in the ethics, yeah, in the ethics questions, because because there is this. I mean, it, it's definitely impossible to ignore that the the sheer acceleration we've had in technology since like the late nineties has, if if not altered our society than at least accelerated and laid bare so much of our society mm. that it's it's you 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 know that every time something catches on it's going to have some kind of unintended consequence unless you're like i don't know under the age of 26 right like then maybe you're just like no whatever but even then you know maybe i'll revise that if you're under the age of 17 because i feel like by the time someone's 19 you know 18 or 19 they've already lived through at least one hype cycle of technology now and they they if they don't want to admit that there's like something going on they 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 kind of know deep down inside that Mm. you know that that, that what what they're being shown or what they're experiencing is at least to some degree being manipulated from the outside or, or the, the affordances of the tech are, are leading to certain outcomes and they may not be able to articulate it, but they sense it. When I think people my age were some of the last to recollect what it was like before the internet, mm. um, I have very clear um, 
memories of of living life before AOL, you know. So, um, and and it's just so interesting for for people like me um, to try to come to terms with that chasm that happened, you know, somewhere around. I I couldn't tell you the exact day, but like ninety three, ninety four, something like that, when things just started to like started to pop up and internet was still this kind of weird novelty uh, for a good portion of that time and in the early days and then it became this all all-encompassing life that you live <laughs> and and like I, I do it just as much as anyone so whenever i critique someone uh, in their view of technology i am ultimately critiquing myself because i'm no better so <laughs> i i often talk about how you know, we used to use our screens to escape reality. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like we use reality to escape our screens. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's good. You know, like just, just, and, and I can remember those days, like in the early nineties, like getting an AOL disc, like using aim to like chat with someone. Um, like I was, I would hang out on the comic book boards in AOL and there was some kid named Kestrel. Like I think it was in Texas who like we would like chat about dc comics and at one point like we had like i was i was doing it out of the office i was working in because even as a teenager i was like working in media and then like he was like doing it like like at home and like at certain point i think we he'd run up his like parents like AOL bill and i was like should i just call you and so we just like called each other on the phone just talked you know um I was like, why are we doing this? This is stupid, right? Which is what I still do to this day. It's like, why are we texting? And like the millennials and the the Zers like, oh, no, don't make me talk to you on the phone. I was like, no, trust me. This is great. You'll love it. <laughs> you guys are making me feel old because, of course, I can remember <laughs> – I can remember a time before personal computers were a thing and that's like – so, yeah, I've I've seen two cycles of this at least. And, yeah, the, the landscape is just unimaginably different now. Um, and, and the, the thing that keeps coming back to me is that like, you know, 50 years is not really that long in the mm. grand scheme of things, but the world is just utterly different on so many levels. And, um, but I guess it's funny where the reason I, 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 sh- I think I share a lot of Blake's skepticism, but where I, I, I also have a certain, I'm, I'm probably a little more optimistic generally, but I, I also just. I, I have a very strong sense of my inability to do anything about the negative things for the most part. So it's more of that's fair. It's like having identified that this is going to cause X, Y, and Z problem. It's like, I can't actually stop that thing from happening or that technology from being used that way. So how am I going to adapt to that inevitability? And that's, that's where, where I sort of come down on it, but yeah, it's sort of a, I, I try to avoid the trap of, of deciding that something is going to be really terrible and therefore assuming there must be something I can do about it when probably I can't. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's where your, your interview really shifted the way I viewed a lot of things actually, Noah, uh, is that it actually made me realize that maybe I'm being a little too cynical um, and not giving the technology a chance to, show itself in, in both the positive and negative. I, I was so kind of uh, focused in or myopic on, on the negative uh, through a lot of the interviews in the beginning. And so mm-hmm. I started to, like, I never lost that aspect, but I also started to be curious about how people seek to use the technology to connect people because that's that's what it feels like this 
that should be the end goal of this technology. And that's, that should be the end goal of all technology, in my opinion, is to connect people and to accentuate humanity without uh, negatively affecting it somehow. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm, I find funny that like, like I maybe got you like optimistic or to some degree, I mean, it's also been like, you know, the year we've had has been just a meat grinder. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and I'm, you know, I'm at this point where like, I'm, I'm trying to reconnect with, you know, what, what inspires me, you know? Cause there's, there's so much of a mountain to still climb and it can be, it can be really hard, particularly when, you know, the, the hype cycle moves on or like everyone's like, everyone's been so excited about, you know, crypto and NFTs. Like it's eaten up a lot of like the tech press stuff. And there's aspects of those things, which are just absolutely terrible. And there's, there's other aspects that, maybe have some silver linings to them you know it's it's just so difficult when the hype cycle starts on something to know to know where to orient yourself if you aren't in the middle of it like the folks yeah. i know who are like digital visual artists are right in the middle of that so for them it's very exciting it's like oh you mean i, I have a different way to sell my art that i was already making this is amazing this is incredible and so they're they're all in but then also, you know, anytime there's something new, there's a whole bunch of grifters who show up and just start grifting away. And then that becomes what kind of clouds everything is it's not the it's not the actual thing itself. It's like what people are excited about trying to get some advantage on. And I feel like we've been in that cycle in VR a couple of times um, over the decades and also even like in the past in the past decade of, of virtual reality. This is why it's so cool talking about people who've actually used the technology to create stuff, though, is that they're aware of the problems and the limitations, but they've also, they're starting to work on ways to deal with them and and sort of really coming up with often really clever workarounds and, and ways to fix stuff. And that's why it's been kind of interesting from time to time checking in on your podcast over this past year, just like, I, I know it's been horrible for people who are in theater who are, you know, really missing the ability to gather in large groups, but just watching the really creative and clever ways people come up with to deal with that and to, to still get that same hit of, of, you know, scratch that itch of wanting to perform in a way that feels meaningful, you know, given the limitations of the past year. And it's just that, that kind of creative problem solving just fascinates me. And, you know, I love that. That's the kind of things I love to tell stories about as well. So it's just always really cool to listen to. And uh, I, I, you know, I gather everybody's now starting to get really excited about the possibility that live theater is actually going to be coming back, you know, before we're, we're too much older. <laughs> so, yeah, like there's, there's rumors that even Sleep No More is, is coming back around. Although apparently like they've put tickets on sale like four or five times and no one noticed. But today someone was like, oh, it looked like it's coming back in August. And then one of my co- associates was like, oh, uh, don't get too excited yet. And also, and someone else in the comments it was literally someone who used to work for it was like, Oh my goodness, it's back in August. And then of course they're friends with people who still work and they're like, well, management hasn't told us that we're coming back to work yet. So I don't know about that. Maybe the box office knows something we don't. Um, but here in LA, you know, there's, there's all this stuff that's just like reopening. Um, and there's stuff that was supposed to open a year ago, which have started their hype cycles again. And it's just very surreal. What, what was the, 
because you guys did a second round, I guess, after pandemic started, mm-hmm. what was, what was the tenor of those conversations? Like when it, because I, there, there'd been, there's been such an, there's been, I feel like there's been a real shift because like quest two came out in like, or it was like, you know, sold in June came out in the fall. Um, suddenly like number, like, you know, it's, it's, it's not iPhone numbers, you know, but like there's, there's been a, a lot more of a d- adoption on the software side. There's been a lot more games being sold. There there's all of these you know, theater pieces going on in VR. Like it, it feels like there, there's been a shift. Was that something that was happening or, or that the people you were talking to were aware of? I'm just looking, I'm just taking a quick look back to remind myself who we talked to. Um, it's funny. I don't, I don't, other than Mike Pondsmith, I don't think we talked to anybody who's directly in the VR gaming space. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know that like the, the, the dungeon dudes who do uh, uh, a, they do, they do D and D via zoom on their Twitch channel. And, and then via zoom, um, they, they obviously they talked about how, you know, their, the pandemic had affected them, but um yeah, I they don't because they don't do VR per se. And, and well, even but with he, Mike, yeah, I mean, well, with the dungeon dudes, like how because th- there's there's a lot of crossover, uh, and at least from the the immersive audience over into role playing, if not vice versa. Uh, and definitely when you hit LARP, there's there's a you know that that Venn diagram is a is an oval. But um, what what was the shift for them like? I think the biggest thing for them was that they can't. Um, they cannot all gather in the same space to play mm. the way they used to. So they, cause it used to be there, you know, this tight knit group of like four friends who used to, they would play every week and now they, you know, they still do, but they, they have to break it out into four, four separate <laughs> zoom panels. Um, so it was more about that. And then, and then partly as an offshoot, one of their members, she, she took time off because she had a baby. So I, I was one of the people they brought in as a guest, uh, guest player and which was, real eye-opening for me because that was it was the first time i played live D since uh, college and besides you know being being kind of amazed at how much simpler the rules had gotten and, and sort of <laughs> they, they've gotten a lot i mean there's still complexity but yeah they've gotten I, I don't mean that in a bad way at all yeah. i mean that you know when i when i got into D it was it was still sort of an offshoot from from wargaming and so complicated, you know, combat results tables and, and, you know, armor classes not making a whole lot of sense. Like why would a negative armor class be better? <laughs> because you're, you're yeah. more nimble. It's yeah. Just- <laughs> yeah. Man, for some reason y'all were talking about war games and, and I don't remember any of this from that Dabney Coleman and Matthew Broder committee. <laughs> <laughs> Although oh, I think it was, I think, God, was it that or something else? I, I swear to God, I think TSR may have had the license to that at some point, or maybe I'm just thinking, I guess my, the biggest, aside from like, you know, Siskel and Ebert, like reviewing, oh my God, I just really, I, Siskel and Ebert were in my dream last night. I don't know why. They're both <laughs> dead too. Like what the hell are they doing? what was going on? Sorry. I don't usually do that. <laughs> just, just had this flash of like, you know, um, ah, God, now I remember my entire morning. Everything's getting very weird all of a sudden. Um, just ads for the, like Atari game based on war games, like in my, 
in 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 comic books or maybe it was the maybe it was the other one that Dabney Coleman was in like Spy Games oh, is that yeah, what I'm thinking of TSR had a game called Top Secret which was right. a, yeah it was the yeah. James Bond role playing game that might be what you're thinking of so yeah it's all just was that kind of, tied to the Val Kilmer movie somehow <laughs> I'm just no bringing up all the now. <laughs> no you're just no bringing, you're just bringing the dad jokes today man yeah. <laughs> <laughs> appropriately enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, have, have you have you gotten like just more dad jokes now that you're actually a dad like because like no, at a certain was, age we started creating yeah. them but like did did it yeah. supercharge you by being a father now uh no i i actually was born uh to tell dad jokes i've been telling them for years okay uh it's it's my chosen humor Good. I, I like stupid absurdity so <laughs> no 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 I, I this this allows me to not be jealous and and because like i too love the dad joke and i'm just like oh i don't i am too lazy to to produce a child so i don't want to know that like magically dad jokes get better if you have a kid so no actually if anything they probably get worse mainly because you're tired yes (laughs) that's exactly what i want to hear um okay D &D rules complexity so did that mean that those sessions want to being like a lot more about the role playing than, than the, than the, that was what was great for me was that, you know, I had, I had basically because I, you know, I've, I've, I've spent way too much time playing computer RPGs, which are a completely different beast. They're all about the math. And it, it was just, it was just really refreshing to be reminded, Oh yeah, this is, this is what made D and D fun was this collaborative storytelling. And, particularly when you're mature enough to not be like in competition with the, the, you know, it's like when, I think when we played, played D and D when I was younger, sometimes it would just be like, you know, trying to punish the players or make things difficult or whatever. And this was much more with playing with Monty and Kelly was much more about just like, no, we're, we're trying to have as much fun as possible. And part of it too, because it's, it's, it's live on Twitch. You're, you're simultaneously playing the game, but you're also playing to an audience, which, um, inspires you to do things that are a lot more fun that you might not do if it was just a group of people sitting around a table, at least Mm -hmm. in my experience. So that was, that was really neat. And the thing about the rules getting simpler again, it's not that, that there's the, that I was, I didn't mean to disparage that. It was just like, yeah, that that the rules have become transparent and that to the extent that there's still some math there, it's just to sort of keep you honest and give you something to that, you know, something solid to fight against rather than just completely making up a story as you go along, which is obviously something you could also do. But um, so, yeah, that was just a, that was just a really interesting thing to see. And this is something that cannot, unless they actually, you know, invent AI that's for real, that just cannot really be computerized beyond like, it was great to have the tools to sort of handle the, the different, different rules and stuff like that for us and keep, keep track of the stats. But the, the engine of the game was just the storytelling and Monty like thrown out. Yeah, this is what you see. This is where you are now. And this is what's happening. What do you want to do? And you could come up with a goofy idea that, you know, and he'd, he'd just roll with it and say, okay, yeah, you can try that. And here's what you got to do. And uh, it was, it was really refreshing. It's not something that you'll ever be able to have a computer do. So it's like, Alexa, I want to do something that you're not programmed to understand. <laughs> so, you know, you want to watch the stand? Yeah. <laughs> sure, Jeff, we can pull the moon down for you. Yeah. What else would you like? You know. <laughs> Your yacht, yacht, yacht is ready. Um, 
So yeah, no, we I, I don't think this time around we we talked specifically about how the 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 tech has changed things. Other than that, everybody's been on Zoom for twelve months and yeah. fourteen months, and and you know how so has it affected your business yeah. and stuff. I mean, Blake, do you remember? It was, any, any... It was probably more of an atmosphere uh, for the guests. It was more just an atmosphere of all of us being really tired and being wearied <laughs> by this whole experience. Like, it, and and I and I mean that somewhat jokingly, but I also mean it seriously. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it kind of weaved its way into the conversations in the sense that you could kind of tell that having this pandemic and, and having to go pretty much solely online, unless you're in, you know, middle America or, or wherever, where you're, you know, um, choosing not to, um, it's, it took a toll on people. Like this is, we got a taste of what a, um, I guess it, technological society like full like somewhat realized um is gonna be like uh and and you know i i i think about this uh and this is gonna sound disparaging and i and i don't mean it that way um but i think of wally um Mm -hmm. and the people who are sitting in the chairs just living life completely online and and on the screen and and they just they they blossom uh because they don't they aren't doing anything like they're just just, and, and I get that image in my head, like that's the worst case scenario um, of living a life completely online. Um, but now I want cupcake in a cup. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but but it, I, I think that's, while I think that's ne- probably never going to happen, uh, you know, fingers crossed. Um, I think it's, it's a worthy kind of uh, critique or, or commentary on what it means, like what the cost is um, to to live a life um, outside of a quote unquote metaphysical reality, like a real tangible reality of people you can touch and hug and things you can, you can feel and, and, and just sensory material. So. Did you guys spend any time during pandemic, like in any of the virtual worlds that have sort of popped up? Like, have you gotten access to like quests or vibes or, or what have you? Matt probably has more than I have. I, I I was on Alt Space VR for his first reading, um, and that was a that was a wild experience. I was confused most of the time so, <laughs> because I am I'm I'm the outsider of the group. I I very seldom actually try technology. I I tend to be the outsider looking in. Uh, I am intrigued by it, and if the opportunity affords itself, um, then I would I would definitely try it. But I'm not going to rush out and and buy you know the tech or anything like that um but i i was it was a fun experience to to, to at least do the semi-virtual world of, of all space and and kind of navigate uh <laughs> were you doing that were you doing that on like a, a on, pc on a, yeah. on a pc mm-hmm. and so without without the goggles yeah um, no I, I still haven't tried the goggles but it, okay. it sounds like uh, i might be seasick uh according to what matt's <laughs> feeling in the past if we so. if, if if and when we meet in person <laughs> yeah. I, will bring, I will have to bring goggles with me just to see how you how you take to them but What's fascinating would be, of course, it was Blake who came up with the idea to do the podcast in the first place. And like, I'm, I'm, I don't know that I ever specifically asked, like, what what made you suggest this specifically as a project to do together? Like, was it just? Well, and Daryl Daryl had a lot to do with that. Uh, I mean, I think a our producer Daryl Armstrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think a lot of it came like the idea of a podcast or something um, 
something like that came to my mind, but he's the one who kind of clarified the idea and was like, well, the book is about this. So why don't we see if we can reach out to people that know about that exact thing. And it kind of just went from there. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just a fun experience to come up with this kind of dream list of, uh, of people that we wanted to talk to. We even had David Cronenberg on there. Um, and I reached out to what I assumed was his agent, uh, never heard back from him. So, um, but we, <laughs> we call out on our last episode. Yeah. We, we hope that David Cronenberg is listening to it, that he would uh, reach out to us. <laughs> yes. We would restart the podcast. We would. Oh, easily. oh yeah. But, um, no, yeah, that's, yeah. So I'm, I'm just, yeah. All I really had to do was be smart enough to say yes when Blake suggested it. And, uh, I'm, I'm really glad I did because, yeah, it was just so fascinating talking to all these people. Um, but as far as is using the tech, yeah. What, what's funny is when I, at the time I had written the writing the book, I had, I'd only had very limited experience with actual VR, which was okay because I was you know I was writing about this platonic version of the technology, so I I, I knew I didn't really want to get hung up too much in the specifics of you know how do you make the headset work and stuff, and it was just like assume that it works the way it does in you know, the, the 80s fantasy version of VR and then see what that, you know, that ability to, to be anything you want affects your interpersonal relationships with other people. Um, but once I was done, as like a reward to myself for having finished the novel, I, I yeah, I bought a, a, a Quest Rift headset. And then one of the weirder perks of having Lovecraft Country produced by HBO, they, they did their own special Lovecraft Country themed VR installation and they set out uh, if you got an invitation they sent out swag bags with a uh, an oculus uh, quest headset in it and uh, so I, I got to do wireless and and tethered um, and I have to say the quest is just so much better in so many ways especially now that we've got the link cable so that you can use it as a rift basically if you want to I think oh, that's yeah. the... Or, or the air link which just got unlocked like two weeks ago oh really oh yeah so upgrade so you log in your pc you you fire up oculus it's going to get you the latest runtime oh, really? um, and the same thing update the quest if you've got the quest 2 uh up, update that sucker and now it's the exact same it's just like what was in virtual desktop which i could never get to work except it's it's at the os level and look, it hiccups. It's not flawless, uh, and because it, it's shooting it out over Bluetooth, but it is shockingly good. And not being tethered is yeah. everything when it comes to this stuff. Yep. yep. You know, oh, you've just you've just ruined my free time for the next couple of weeks. If I can get this to work, <laughs> I'm I'm sorry I destroyed it, but holler at me because. I, you know, almost the reason why I asked is like the leading question, you know, like there's corners of, of the virtual world sort of thing right now, like strange spots in VR chat where people have like made these oh, places where people have made some like, really like, well, what are you people doing? And then other, other places where like they've made these elaborate and beautiful, you know, worlds and also lots of absurdist stuff. Like there's mm -hmm. a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of virtual worlds in both alt space and VR chat where people are like, like role play working at fast food joints. <laughs> so there's like McDonald's you can go to. 
It's really funny. Okay. Um, but then there's also like these, these like super elaborate, you know, sometimes people are like recreating a video game world. Like someone recreated like jet set radio, which was a, a really popular video game like 20 years ago for the dreamcast. Um, and then there's, there's folks who've like made like original like games. Like someone made a horror game that lasts, and not someone I know. Who, I know the people who did it. Like they made, they made like a horror kind of escape room game that lasts like up to like six hours, but it's VR chat, so you can't save or pause. So if you're gonna do it, you got to do it. There, that group of people is trying to like make it into an actual game, but like there are just these elaborate, sometimes absolutely beautiful worlds. Um, there's like art galleries, there's just all this stuff. And like, sometimes when you're in there with people, you know, you can actually get a sense of presence. Like I ran around Burning Man, uh, cause Burning Man was in VR this past year mm-hmm. and it was, it was kind of intense to, to be running around the virtual Black Rock city with real people after having not seen anyone in a very long time, even with just like the kind of crude avatars of alt space, which are mm. perfectly fine for like going through experiences with people. But so where, um, I, where I got kind of spoiled, I, my, my first VR interview I ever did was in Sansar. Um, guy, guy named Draxtor Dupre. He does a, a, it's the Drax files interview show. And he, and it's like, it's like a, yeah, it's just this amazing, like you're, you're, you're meeting in a virtual room. He's in Munich. I'm in Seattle and you, you know, you get a full body avatar that he had custom made. So that was just like, and then virtual mock-ups of my books that we could throw around the room. And uh, he took me on a tour of a couple of other locations in Sansar, which is basically it's second life, but in, in fully realized VR. Mm. And uh, there was this, this alien planet I was wandering around on for a while. That was amazing. Um, so that kind of set the standard for me. And, and again, because this was like, he has friends who do custom avatar work. So I was experiencing this as a, you know, my, my fourth book was bad monkey. So he gave me a, uh, it was basically a, a, a bipedal mandrel in a jean jacket. <laughs> and yeah, so it was weird to go from that. And then you go to all space and it's like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like, Oh, I'm a Playmobil character. Okay. You know? Um, you know, the current, the current avatars are kind of like, you know, really cool Lego pieces, but, uh, or Lego people, but, and, and again, it, it get, that gets the job done too, but it was like, yeah, Sansar really showed me I, the, the, the potential when you have reasonably high res, high quality building tools and people devoted enough to make really good use of them. And, yeah. um, so that was, that was still one of my, the most eye opening experiences to me and, and partly just the to that convenience of being able to throw together an event in relatively short time. The other thing was, you know, also with Dragster, I did a, a, a second life um, book club and it was me and, and three other authors all in different cities. And, you know, ordinarily to get us all together in a room to do a book club discussion, you'd have to get plane flights and hotel rooms and probably planning weeks in advance. And this, it's like, you know, there was, there was some advanced planning, but if you, if you wanted to, you could just, throw together a conversation like that in an hour or two. And the only, the only time limitation is letting people know about it. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's something that I think is really going to change the world. Once the tech gets 
a little farther ahead and a little easier for, for normies to use. Um, I'm still mm-hmm. nerdly, you know, I'm still enough of a nerd that I understand that for a lot of people, just, just getting a headset and figuring out how to make it work would, would take long enough that they'd be like, ah, I'm not sure it's worth it for this, but I'm hoping within five or 10 years, it'll be simple enough and comfortable enough that, that, you know, a lot of people will be doing this. That, that will be normative enough that just about anyone can, can actually purchase and, and have the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I know the platforms like dream of, you know, this stuff replacing the desktop mm-hmm. and I don't spend a lot of time thinking about like how that would be or what that would look like. But as, as I start to like mess around with some of the affordances of just, you know, the virtual desktop and, in Oculus and the fact that you can like throw a bunch of screens around and have them at different depths and scale. I was like, Oh, I can make a JLA monitor room for me. I can have like, you know, like the back computer level of, of monitors and just like, I haven't done it yet, but I'm like, Oh, oh, one night I'm probably going to set this stuff up. So it's like, all right, just looking around the room to see spatialized information. And there's, there's a novelty to it, but that, that at first is appealing, but then there's also like, Oh, like there, there is some advantage to you know, working with information at different depths and scales and then like having different people or like, what would happen if we could like, you know, arrange that book club so that like people are sitting around just the act of being able to like turn your head to either address someone or mm-hmm. like more fully engaged with listening. So you can like focus yourself it's and also like focus other people so they know like oh you know noah's looking at matt it, it's time to listen to what matt's saying you know that that sort of social cueing is yeah. completely absent from zoom well yeah and something something we experienced earlier in this conversation is the the crosstalk problem which you know, without the the facial cues and, and little mm-hmm. things that it makes it really hard to have a natural conversation in some ways without that. And the other thing is, is this whole ergonomic issue that I think a lot of people overlook where goggles are not comfortable to wear for more than, you know, probably, I mean, for some people probably, you know, you, you crap out after half an hour. If I'm really enjoying myself, I might stay, you know, with the headset on for an hour, but I can't imagine uh, doing it for six hours straight or long enough to get actual work done. It's like, no, yeah, <laughs> make it, you know, if you can build it as light as my eyeglasses, maybe. Um, but, and, and there are other issues too, where like my wife would, you know, can't get into VR because her glasses are, her glass prescription is so uh, specialized that, you know, I've got special insets for my headset. So I don't have to wear my eyeglasses when I'm using it, but uh, the company that makes those special inserts that my, my wife's prescription is out of range for them. Mm. It's like, it's, it's, she needs, she needs actually thicker or I, I, I guess the, the curvature is just so extreme that they can't do it. So, um, so yeah, the one time she tried to, to use the headset, she just got a headache and, and it's like, yeah, okay. If this works for you, that's good, but I'll wait until they, <laughs> until they make it a lot simpler and more comfortable. Oh yeah. I mean, even I have, I mean, my vision's not, well, it's getting worse as I get older, obviously. I mean, who doesn't? But like, even with just my simple astigmatism, it's, there are still times where I'm just like, oh, uh, this is not in focus enough for me to do what I need to be doing. Um, which if it's a game of skill or something, 
is you know frustrating. Yeah, yeah. It's like like oh, you know. Well, and 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 that's been sort of the funny thing is watching us like they they make you know all this content for it, and like there's a lot of just recreating the current gaming world, and yet what's compelling about I keep on thinking about what's compelling about VR is, you know, do I like the world that I'm visiting? You know, do I feel like I want to spend more time there? And is there something that makes me care about if it's, if it's a brand new fictional world and I'm not carrying any baggage into it, you know, it's, it feels like it's such a harder mountain for me to climb to like spend the time unless I'm like connected in dramatically. Whereas if it's going to be like all, you know, longer than like a half an hour or an hour, you know, like in- engagement, whereas, you know, I'm a big star Wars nerd. So you give me star Wars pinball, which just came out. And like, and I also like pinball, even though I'm not that great at it. And I'm just like, oh, okay, cool. You know, like I'll, I'll drop in the arcade and I'll screw around the arcade for a while. Um, Cause I, it, that's a place I like, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that idea of like, oh, you know, let me go, let me go to this place. I like, um, I mean, I was exercising, I haven't done like in a month. I was like using Supernatural, which is like the workout app, one of the workout apps in in um, in VR, and actually really enjoying it because uh, you know it's the Within guys, and they like traveled around the world, like getting like full like three sixty video of like go work out on the Great Wall, work out like in front of uh, in, in the middle of Petra, right? You know, like in Jordan, uh, just some really incredible landscapes, and just to the point where you just you just kind of want to hang out in the landscape for a bit. And that was, that was such a wonderful thing during, you know, oh, don't go outside, but here you can go work out in front of the Great Pyramid. Um, and just that idea of like, where are we going to go today? What, where are we going to, what are we going to see? And, and feeling like you're in a space, even though you know you're not, it's still like, oh, this is a nice environment to be in. Um, and yet, you know, a lot of game makers they don't think in those terms, you know, the, and so I don't know that it still feels like we're in this convergent point. Like there's, there's a few things that have already nailed it. Right. Like my, my associate Catherine like replayed Vader immortal recently for some reason she had to like check into something and then she wound up diving in longer than she expected. And she was like, it's been two years since this came out and this is still like the best, you know, like they, they, they know what they're doing. And, you know, why is everyone else still like trying to figure it out when like, it's all, it's all right in there. Um, and I feel like that's probably also true of things like Half-Life Alex and a few other stuff. I, I still haven't done that one because there's head crabs in that game. And I'm like, I don't want head crabs. I'm like, like, no. It's like, it's one thing when you're playing on a 2D screen. So I'm like, I don't really want head crabs. No, I don't want something jumping in my head. Like people could say, no, don't worry about it. I'm like, oh, I am worried about it, you know? Oh goodness, that sounds that sounds right up my alley. <laughs> Headcrabs. <laughs> I'll I'll, I'll I, I've been thinking of downloading that, so I'll get that before I come visit you, Blake. <laughs> okay, sounds great. I'm good, good with that. <laughs> I mean, one I... Of the, yeah, one of the people we talked to is Asha Samochina. She uh, she she works for uh, NASA and does her her thing is doing yeah 360 videos and and other interactive things where you can sort of experience being on Mars as the curiosity rover and looking around and, or, you know, simulated landing on an asteroid. So those are cool uses of the tech. And, um, 
Brandon Oldenburg's Manifest 99, which is a virtual story that I checked out before we interviewed him, that that was sort of one of the things that made me open my eyes a little like, okay, this is something different from what I've seen. Because when you first get into VR, there's like, yeah, there's like two or three stereotypical genres that everybody does something of. The shooting game, um, you know, and then, the, yes, there's the the fitness game with Beat Saber being like the, you know, probably the, the platonic version of that. But there yeah. are variations on that. And then, yeah, the jump scare, walking around in a creepy dark place game. And after a while, you realize these are all variations on a theme. And, and a lot of them, you know, once once somebody gets the sweet spot, it's like, it just feels like more of the same. So you're looking for that moment when it's like, Oh yeah, you could, this is something new you, that I haven't seen that you can do with this technology. And, and it just takes a certain amount of cleverness to get there. So um, this has, is something, yeah, that we realized that, that I think Blake and I, we both got the sense, especially with the second round of interviews that, that, there's really a lot to this technology. It's like, it's not just a gimmick that's going to die off once people get used to it. It's that, that it's actually going to be really, there's a lot of potential. Every time I think I've seen everything people can do with it, um, I see something new. So, and again, I, I got to thank you for pointing us in a lot of the right directions with, uh, you know, no proscenium is just a great resource for that. Oh, thanks. Has, has this adventure diving into this world has it left you with any desire to maybe muck around and create something in vr the problem is that i just don't have the skills probably in terms of i mean i i would never say never but it's just i feel like it's a completely different dialect than what i'm used to doing and it's also a very big team sport i mean it's not like a novel where i can just sit down and do something on my own um, I feel like the, but you never know the tools are going to get better for creating stuff. So it may, it may be that something will, will eventually strike me. And it's also possible. I'll just get asked to provide, you know, creative ideas for somebody else to, to do the, the infrastructure in the building. So that would be, that might be neat. I, and certainly I'm fascinated by it. So what about you, Blake? Yeah, I, uh, I think if I ever got to a space where I was, you know, finding myself, you know, testing out the technology a little bit more often. I'm sure there is uh, something, if not a, a bunch of somethings that would uh, fascinate me or, or interest me and, and make me want to, you know, as you said, muck around uh, in them. Um, as someone who's a big uh, horror sci-fi guy, um, I'm sure that there's a lot of opportunities for immersive uh, horror uh, kind of kind of programming. And, and so I'm sure I would love to kind of experience that aspect. Um, oh, yeah. but, but it's just, it's one of those things where I would have to actually get to where I was, you know, giving myself the, the space and, and, and the willingness to, to dive into it. And, uh, as of right now, I don't see that happening anytime real soon, but maybe sometime in the future, uh, I might be able to, uh, kind of sit down and enjoy some of that more you know, more regularly. I think, I think some class, there's some possible classics in, in the form are are starting to like build up, particularly in the horror space. So, um, I know I I need to check out the, the Blair, Witch one they did. And then just like a release a little bit ago, um, Wraith, the oblivion, which is based off the old, uh, white wolf 
role playing game, uh, one of the one of the stranger role playing games and darker ones they had of, of a bunch of very dark role playing games. Uh, that just got released like you know, uh, I think like a week and a half ago. Uh, so yeah, like the, on the horror side of things, there's there's a lot. Um, I mean, and even like gosh, like I guess, and I didn't realize this. Uh, like Resident Evil Seven was done as VR for like the PlayStation. Oh wow. Yeah, which I did not. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that. So yeah, there's there's like a catalog, like and Phantasmagoria is this game. Like it's a multiplayer. I've like heard about that, actually. Yeah, yeah, very popular on the Twitch. And there's oh, a there's nice. a there's there's a there's a non VR version of it that you can check out. But I think it's like a multiplayer. I think it's a multiplayer. Like all these people are in a haunted house who can survive the longest. I think that might, I'm I'm probably getting this totally wrong. Someone someone out there is screaming at me right now. Um. <laughs> Uh, I may, I may, I may have it downloaded onto a computer and still haven't gone into it. Like with most of the games that I have access to, just like dozens upon dozens, reaching back for decades, been like, I'm going to play this one day. I swear, um, I call that my retirement fund. So um, <laughs> that's what I'll do with it with the last years of my life. Um, well, any anything else? kind of like stand out to you guys on this journey um before we before we wrap up and let you back to your normal lives i mean i i'm a hard egg to crack sometimes uh, when it comes to kind of breaking into my uh perceptions on whatever the the topic is um and i felt like there was enough of a foundational like cracking uh in my understanding of what not only what immersive technology can be, but also uh, how it can be used. And, and I, I'm always, I'm always glad when that happens. Um, I like to be taken out of my head um, and to kind of see things from a new light or a new perspective. And, and so to be able to kind of be uh, shown the more, you know, positive, hopeful side of, of, of the technology is, was really beneficial for me uh, and not being so heavy handed in my uh, negative <laughs> negativity towards, towards it as a, as a whole. Um, I, I think that's really for me being kind of an outsider looking in, that was the biggest uh, thing that, that I kind of took away from the whole uh, process was just being open to hearing uh, these people that, you know, spend their whole lives working on this technology and, and seeing where the flaws are and, and seeing where, um, the real, you know, beneficial aspects of, um, not only bringing people into new worlds, but also creating, um, what, like, you know, kind of like what Ebert said, uh, empathy machines. <laughs> um, and so kind of like war remains kind of bringing people into a space where they can not only hear the information of world war one, but they can actually, to some extent, sense what that meant and the, the terror of that of that moment uh i really really respected uh people who had others in mind uh, when they were looking at technology yeah and i guess for me i mean it i i, I have this weird reputation of never like stepping in the same genre twice all of my books are very different from one another so in a sense this is like my this was like my one vr novel so you know i i would probably not return to this again but i have to say like after seeing all the different variations on 
immersive entertainment, there's, I'm thinking there's, there's, there's something else I want to do with this. I don't know what it is, but that there's enough variety here that I could, you know, sort of, there's another story probably that I would want to tell about this stuff that would not be just a repetition of what I was talking about in 88 names. And that's kind of a neat thing to have realized that like maybe the, the live aspect of it, something to do with immersive theater or, or, you know, escape rooms or just, you know, or, or any of the other cooler, weirder things that people have come up with. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the thing that's really stuck with me is that there's just, there's, there's a lot more there, there than I would have predicted I think mm. when we started out and that's great. Yeah. And it's the, this world is getting bigger and weirder all the time. I think today I just saw something across the desk that said like some article about how LARPing's become very popular in China. That's like, awesome. it's like, it's like a, a growth market there. And I'm like, okay, here we go. I guess like <laughs> there's, there's 7 billion people on the planet and um, you know, there's even niche stuff can have hundreds of millions of people dedicated to it. So, which is awesome. Yeah. Rock and roll. All right, guys. Well, for those who haven't checked it out, do check out the 88 names podcast. Do check out 88 names, the book, which is why the podcast exists. And, uh, I'm, I'm so glad I got to corrupt you guys as you went on that journey. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, stop. Yeah. This this has been a blast. And, uh, let, let me know if you guys encounter any more, any more weird weirdness out there. Cause, uh, I, I can't see it all. So, um, I always look forward to a field report. Sweet. We're always down for that. (laughs) All right, man. Hope to see you face to face at some point. That'd be really great. Yeah. Same here. Once again, I want to thank Blake and Matt for being our guests on the show today. You can find the 88 Names podcast any old place you get your podcasts from, and I encourage you to do so, and for you to check out Matt's novels, obviously. I think a lot of you have already, so I don't need to worry about that part so much. Um, Okay, what is in the old brain pen this week? Uh, Number one... uh, Know that our, our friends over at Serial Killer Speed Dating are doing their pilot on Clubhouse because they're part of the whole Clubhouse Creator First pilot contest thing. That's happening Saturday at 3 o'clock Pacific, 6 o'clock Eastern on the Clubhouse main stage. There's money on the line for our boys. So um, if you can tap in, I believe the metric is retention. So just hang around goose the numbers um let's let's get let's get some uh, folks from the the la immersive scene some some cash shall we um let's drain silicon valley of its precious bitcoin <laughs> that is authentic maniacal laughter right there my friends um seriously uh if you have if is bitcoin weighing down your hard drive well <laughs> Do I have a solution for you? All right. Um, give it to me. Uh, let's see here. Uh, noted that we are coming up on uh, episode 300. Uh, noted that as I look at a milestone, I'm going like, hmm, we should do something. And not just with the one episode. 
So the brain's spinning. Going to talk to Catherine today with some ideas. Um, this is literally just I woke up with a bug up my butt. So uh, maybe nothing will come of this, but I think something's going to come of this one. Uh, I can always tell. I can always tell when an idea is just... I can tell when an idea has more weight than just a flight of fancy. So I'll put it that way. <laughs> I can't always tell when something's justified a flight of fancy. I really thought I was going to be a vigilante when I was in my teens. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um... <laughs> I still read Batman comics. What can I say? Uh, don't tune out. There's stuff. So um, here's here's the big thoughts for the week. Um, the CDC yesterday uh, helpfully announced that uh, people who are fully vaccinated don't need to wear their masks anymore indoors with other people who are fully masked. Uh, masked. Um, to which, you know, on, on a certain level, this is really great news. Uh, on, on another level, there's a bit of like, didn't you already tell us that? Like, a little no shit, Sherlock. Um, like, that's the point of being vaccinated. Um, but the the tricky part is, is that there's no verification system out there. And there's not likely to be a verification system out there. And so the, the job of... Uh, enforcing local mask mandates and you know private mask mandates and any store is a piece of private property just got a lot harder for the frontline workers like a lot harder um and it'd be really great if um if all it meant was that the people who are unmasked and unvaccinated were you know, risking their own lives and and the health of their lives and uh, their, their themselves and their families, etc. But of course, viruses don't work like that. So, um, the question is, what as a consumer of immersive entertainment that is live, or as a creator producer, what what should you do? And here's here's my take as someone who observes this field and who has writers we send out to cover things who have various degrees of comfort, uh, who himself has various degrees. I'm actually like in my personal life, I'm like a lot chiller than in, than in my professional life on this one, just because I had the anxiety beaten out of me last September by having to take my mom into the hospital every day for like three weeks. So I was in a hospital every day in the middle of the pandemic and I just sort of like had a, panic attack and then got over it, you know, just face the trauma full on. So I'm just like, well, you know, this stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'm, I know that I'm going to be okay, but not everyone does. And, and not everyone is, and there's still kids are still aren't fully vaccinated yet. And kids under a certain age can't be vaccinated. And it's just, it's, it, there are people who have jobs who haven't gotten vaccinated because they don't want to take the time off of work for the, the side effects. So we're, we're kind of at a fragile point right now. And we have a big holiday coming up, Memorial Day. So here's one of the advice. Here's the advice. You didn't want the advice? Too bad. Here's the advice. Keep planning for mask mandates. If you are running a, a venue or an event, keep planning for mask mandates. They may come back. They are likely to come back if we have a spike based on Memorial Day. Memorial Day is coming. And remember, it takes two weeks to see the impact of a super spreader event. I am hoping against hope. I am praying to everything. I'm patting my Grogu's on the head. Good Grogu. I delivered that. Well, he's, this one's in a box, but I'm patting my Grogu's. Here's there. 
There, I actually patted a Grogu. Yes, I have two Grogu's within reach. Don't worry about me. Um, and hoping and and willing that we do not have any super spreader events over Memorial Day. I don't want that for us. I am over this pandemic. I've lost people. I've, I've watched everything get flushed down the toilet. It's it's horrendous beyond belief. Do not be part of the problem. Keep an eye on the numbers. Keep your plans. You can backburner them. If you're running a venue, I beg you, I beg you, hold out on loosening everything up until we see what happens with Memorial Day. We're talking four weeks of extra caution. I know that the anti-mask folks and the anti-vax folks are going to get more belligerent. The thing about bullies is you can't let them run roughshod over you. They just keep on doing it. So um, I'm not really happy with the CDC for unleashing this because it's going to make so many people's lives more difficult. And all we had to do was announce a target number for vaccinations. I know why they did it. There, there's, there's somebody sitting there thinking like, well, if we tell everyone this, then more people will, will get, we'll get a goose in, in the vaccination. No, we won't. It's not, that's not how things have been going. You know, what's going to work. Ohio's coming out a million dollars. <laughs> They're running the lottery. All right. That's going to work. Okay. People in this country are motivated by self-interest. It is how our entire society is structured. Even when you do something altruistic, you are going against the grain. And you know what? You are only moderately rewarded for it. So it is It is baked in deep. Baked in deep. So I just, I beg you, beg you, beg you, I beg you. Just... Keep your powder dry and, and seriously keep your plans. You're just going to have these, have these plans for like ever now because all it takes is a serious breakthrough, you know, things and note, I mean, uh, the Yankees are all vaccinated and eight of them tested positive. Bill Maher tested positive despite the fact that he's vaccinated. So just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean you can't get it. And you may be asymptomatic, but if you've got it, you can spread it. And the masks aren't really, and this is something they've, they've, they've done a horrible job from the beginning. The masks aren't as much about us not catching it. It's about us not spreading it. And yes, if you are vaccinated, there is a, there, there's less of a chance that you can get it and less of a chance that you can spread it. But as we see with the Yankees and with Bill Maher, it is not a 100% guarantee. And the mask just helps stack the odds. That's all. So hold on, hold out, and continuously, thank you for wearing it. We are so close to the finish line here in America. The rest of the world, not as lucky. Right, so let's not blow our chance. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm asking. Oogly googly. All right, 
Um, there, that's your rant. That's, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Um, next week on the show is not in the can yet, but we've got some really great interviews coming up. I know because I've booked them all. Uh, and that episode 300 is on the horizon and, um, um, yeah, we're going to have some fun y'all. We really are. Okay, let's do the credits. Music for No Prestinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Our sustaining backers are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Sidney Guillory, Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Emily Gillette, Samuel Mustry, Brittany, and Elaine. Thank you all so much. You can keep us going at patreon.com slash no proscenium. Until next time, still, thank you for wearing the mask. <laughs>